Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. I'm sorry, but I'm not leaving the bedside of anybody that I love. I mean, it's like, we know how that works. But he's like, in the, the Bible doesn't say this, but I mean, again, these are real stories with real people. And we know in his house, there's his daughter, there's his wife, there's their family. And he's in that moment, he's like, I have to go. I have to go. I have to leave her side because I know there's one who can help her. And I will do anything to get to him for her sake. The Bible tells us about a synagogue leader named Jairus who approached Jesus to beg him to heal his daughter. Pastor James dives deeper into this story today. He reminds us that this is a real story about a real father whose daughter was lying on her deathbed. For Jairus to even leave his daughter's side required immense faith and desperation. By leaving, he risked not being there if she did pass away. In fact, that's exactly what happened. But fortunately for Jairus, Jesus has power over death. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Mark, chapter 5, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Mark chapter 5, if you don't mind turning there, we're halfway through this chapter. Last week, we got to hang out with Jesus and the disciples as they went across the Sea of Galilee to the Gadarenes, and he just went on a mini mission trip for, technically for two guys, I know that, but in Mark's gospel, they just addressed the one guy, and so, but Jesus went all the way across the Sea of Galilee, even if it was just this five-mile span or whatever that track was for him, all the way over there for a matter of like maybe a couple of hours to save one guy. Technically save two guys. I know. Save, but in the, the, the text we looked at, to set one person free and then to turn around and send him out on a commission him to go out and to tell his friends and his family about how good Jesus is and the mercy that he has given him and has shown him. So he goes off into the Decapolis, which is the 10 cities, the 10 major cities on that, on that eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, which is predominantly Gentile. He, he, you know, the herd of pigs went down, 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 down into the water and all that good stuff. He made some pig herders angry at him, and the pig farmers or herders or whatever you call these guys, maybe the ranchers, they booted Jesus out of their region. Like, we don't want you here. You scare us, and you also just cost us a lot of money. Isn't this guy worth more than all those pigs? According to those people, no. 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 This one soul is not worth their livelihood, which is kind of a sad reality, especially in our modern days when a single soul is not worth our comfort and convenience, and you fill in the blank. Jesus went all the way across there to save that guy, to set him free, and then he comes, loads it back up in the boat, and comes all the way back because he's got some more people that he needs to set free. Because when he was here on this planet, he, he was and still is the Messiah, and he's doing what the Messiah was predicted or prophesied to do back in the Old Testament. 
And that's where the Gospel of Mark is just, it's action pace. It's boom, boom, boom. It's this story. Okay, now to this story. And it's immediately this happened. And immediately, right away, and all this good, cool language that Mark uses. And we jump right back into it. And it seems like it's just, without a hitch, Jesus comes right back across to, the, to this you know, common area where he did a lot of ministry. And it's right back at it. The crowds are there. Look at verse 21. Jesus got into the boat again, right? So they, he sends out the demon-possessed, formerly demon-possessed guy to go be a missionary. And then he says adios to the pig farmers because they don't want him there. And Jesus will never stay where he's not welcome. That's a good note for, any of us, for us. He'll show up where he's invited, but he won't stick around if you don't want him there, okay? So just know that. Just know that, all right? So they didn't want him there. So he's like, sweet, I'll hop back in the boat. They go to the other side of the lake. This is where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. So he can't even get back onto the beach without the crowds are like there meeting him. They're watching him probably from a distance of like, is that the boat? That's the boat. There he is with those 12 other knuckleheads, right? Those guys like, and we'll see, they show up again, the disciples. They never say much in some of these stories, okay? And when they do speak, it's not always the best thing. But they're looking, they see the boat coming back across and they're there to meet him on the shore. It says the leader of the local synagogue, whose name is, okay, so in Texas we would say Jarius, but that's not technically how you say it. It's, it's pronounced with a Y, Jarius, Jarius, okay? But I'm Texan, so I'm going to say Jarius, okay? And that's cool. Anybody listening on the radio or watching live, you're like, just let it go. It's, this is how we do it in the South, okay? We pronounce things wrong, but they're right for us, Okay. So yes, I know it's Jarius, but it's Jarius is what we'll call him. He is the leader of the local synagogue. He shows up. So he's part of the crowd. Now, this is important because he's got a major situation within his life. In fact, Jesus's little mini mission trip across the Sea of Galilee was not very convenient for him in his current situation. He needed Jesus on the other side of the shore yesterday because he's got a pressing need. And so you better believe he's part of the crowd that's going to, I mean, immediately jump on the opportunity to grab hold of Jesus as soon as he steps off the boat, because his need is very pressing. So this local leader of the synagogue, Jarius, it says, when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. This is now the second person within the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Mark who falls at the feet of Jesus. The first one was the demon-possessed man. And that was more so the demons having to bow down because they were in the presence of somebody more powerful than them. It wasn't an act of worship for them. Jarius, the same thing for him is he understands Jesus is, he, he's a rabbi. He, he's, he's a rabbi like none other. And there's, there's something about him. And if anybody can help him, it's this guy. And so this is kind of like an act of worship, but it is also an act of reverence or respect. He falls down at, at Jesus' feet. He pleads fervently. He begs with him, my little daughter is dying. It's like, I, I don't know what happened across the Sea of Galilee, Jesus, but I, mean, I need you here now because his knee was that pressing. Because when it says that she was dying, it's she is in her last breath. So now you can frame this in a whole new way. As you read through the Bible, you're thinking, you read through these stories, and we're like, normal story. Yeah, I get it. I mean, that's a cool story, Jarius, and all this good stuff. It's like, no, he's a dad. He's a real person, a real father. 
whose 12-year-old daughter is dying. Never forget that the Bible is full of heart. I know the words are black and white. I know the pages are black and white with the exception of some red here and there and all that good stuff. It's all his word. But never, never, never forget that this thing is, this thing has a heartbeat. It has a heartbeat. And the people in these stories are real people. Real people. They're not superstars. They're not like biblical rock stars who are like, he shows up like, yeah, Jesus, my daughter, she's really sick. She's dying. I need you to come and help us out. I'm cool. I'm collective. I know it's all going to work out. No, he's a real person. And you can put yourself in his shoes. How would you be? You better believe I'm at the front of the line. I don't care if I'm throwing elbows. I don't care what I'm doing. I'm getting to Jesus before anybody else because this need is urgent. It's urgent. And we can feel that from the story. Hopefully you can feel that. You put yourself in the story. You, you know to a certain extent what that's like. And he comes and he, and he just falls at his feet and he's like, Jesus, I need you to help me. My little daughter is dying. Right now, she is dying. And you know this is a tremendous act of faith for a dad to leave the bedside of his dying daughter to go and pursue the one who can help him. You know that's an act of faith. Because I'm sorry, but I'm not leaving the bedside of anybody that I love. I mean, it's like we know how that works. But he's like... In the, the Bible doesn't say this, but I mean, again, these are real stories with real people. And we know in his house, there's his daughter, there's his wife, there's their family. And he's in that moment, he's like, I have to go. I have to go. I have to leave her side because I know there's one who can help her. And I will do anything to get to him for her sake. It's a good example for us to live like to have that urgency, because we care about people so much, and there are people within our lives who are maybe not physically within their last breath, but spiritually, they're, they're there. And am I willing to do whatever it takes to get to his feet for their sake? Your walk with Jesus is way more than just you and Jesus. It's bigger than that. It's heavier than that. I mean, that's why, like, that's why it's such a tragedy when, when pastors fall. It's such, that's why it's, such, it's so heartbreaking when brothers and sisters that we know fall away or walk away. Because it doesn't just impact them. It never just impacts them. It impacts so many other people. But there's that flip side to this thing where it's like, even on the practical level of like my pursuit of Jesus, like I have to think beyond just myself. Am I willing to pursue him, to sit at his feet? I will benefit greatly from it. Jarius will learn a tremendous lesson from pursuing Jesus himself. But am I willing to aggressively, purposefully pursue Jesus for the sake of other people? Will you benefit from that? Of course, you're going to grow. It's, it's amazing and all that good stuff. But I think we have to look bigger picture. And that's all part of this being on a mission for Jesus. We narrow it down to where it's like, what works for me? What's good for me? What's convenient for me? What's comfortable for me? And Jesus is like, I have called you to this world. 
to kind of be like a Jarius, pursuing after me for the sake of others, for the sake of others. If your salvation is set and you're good and you're going to heaven, then what in the world do you have to worry about? You're good. Now go, go nuts for Jesus. Like go aggressive for Jesus for the sake of other people. That's why you're still breathing today. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about them who are taking their last breath, who are in that, that dying stage, so to speak. This is, this is who this guy is. Being a synagogue leader, technically his job description would be coordinating the worship services in the sense of like making sure that, you know, who's going to read from the, the Torah today? And he's setting up people to read from the scriptures for that day and who's going to perform these functions. That was his job description. He really was kind of like, kind of like a pastor at the synagogue, the local synagogue there. He was, he was in charge of coordinating all that good stuff. Who's coming in? Who's, who should be there? Who should not be there? That'll play in in a second. I mean, he was, he was over the synagogue, so to speak. And here he is where he's like, he is begging at the feet of Jesus. Please, he says, come lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Now, he kind of frames it out for Jesus of like, here's what I need you to do. And technically, Jesus does not need him to do this because there's going to be a Roman centurion down the road who's like, look, I'm a man of authority. You're a man of authority. You don't have to come to my house. All you have to do is say a word, and my kid will be healed. This guy's like, Jesus, I need you to show up at my house, and I need you to lay your hands on my daughter, and I need you to heal her. And Jesus is like, okay. He could have corrected him and be like, can you not put me in these boxes, please? But he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. Jesus is so gentle with us and so loving with us. Where this Roman centurion has like pretty amazing faith, great faith to be like, all you have to do is say a word and they're healed. She's like, okay, I got you. Jesus, I need you to show up. I need you to do this and I need you to do this and I need you to do this because some of us work that way, right? We work that way. And Jesus doesn't always jump into our boxes, but he is very gentle and very gracious to us. Or sometimes he'll just meet you where you're at. Okay, that's what you need. Hey, Thomas, you put your hands, your fingers in these holes in my wrist. You put your hand in my side because that's what you need. I'll give you that. Did the other disciples ask for that? Not really. Not really. But Jesus didn't, he didn't get on to Thomas. He doesn't get on to you. He doesn't get on to me. Now, he will in a loving way when our faith is lacking, just like he did with the disciples on the boat just like less than 24 hours ago, where he's like, where's your faith? Where's your faith? This guy shows up and he's like, Jesus, I, you got to come to my house. You have to come to my house. Verse 24, Jesus says, it, where it says Jesus went with him. So he's like, okay, where do you live? Let's go. And they start moving towards that direction. It says all the people followed. So all these people, this crowd that had been awaiting him, they, they crowded around him. The, really the, the idea here is that they're not just crowding around him, but they are like, I mean, pressing in on him. 
right? It's just like shoulder to shoulder. If you have like personal space issues, this is not where you want to be, okay? And I learned this lesson when I went to Israel. They have no personal space. Like, I'm like, none. I I got very close, very close to a lot of people. I didn't even know who they are physically because it's like, you guys don't know? Okay. I don't know how they're doing this whole like six feet apart thing over there, but I'm assuming it probably is not working that well because I found myself in many positions in Israel where I'm just like, okay, this is how it goes. I should just go with it, right? Like these people are all on me. And I know my wife is watching online right now. She's probably laughing because she knows me. I'm like, space, yes, space, space. I like this much space, please. You're in the grocery store, do not, do not stand right behind me in the grocery store, all right? Because that just drives me nuts. We went to Masada. Masada is like that fortress on the hilltop overlooking the Dead Sea in Israel. And there's a gondola that you have to like ride from, you know, the station up to Masada. Been there three times. First two times, no problems. No problems. Space, room, all this good stuff. Last time I went there, they also have a trail going up to Masada that you can hike. I think it's like around three miles or something. I was wishing I took that trail on this last time because I'm looking around at all these people about to load up onto this little whatever you call it, and I'm like, there's going to be another one, right? Like, there's going to be two of these things running because there's too many people, and I don't even know what the max occupancy is on this thing, but I think everybody's ignoring that. So it must be a game that these guys play. How many people can we squeeze in this thing? Who cares about weight limits? Because I'm like watching it pack out. And then like, okay, you're next. And I'm like, where? Where am I going? Well, you're just, you're going to get really familiar with about four or five people. Like that's, we're just going to press you in there. And that's just all the way up there. It's like two minute ride. And you're just like, Oh my gosh. And I'm just like, oh Lord, if, if there's ever a time for a rapture, this is the moment. Because <laughs> I don't even know who this person is right in my face. And this guy and this guy, I'm just like, oh Lord Jesus. New heaven, new earth. That's really spacious, right? Really spacious? Okay, cool. I remember reading the, the dimensions on that. This is like that scene. This is like people are like, pressing in. There is like no room at all. I mean, they're just like crowding. Here's what's significant about this. So you got the crowd, lots of people. They're making their way to this guy's house, Jairus's house. In verse 25, it says, a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, hemorrhaging, a constant flow of blood. For 12 years, same time this little girl's been alive. Same time the little girl's been alive. Here she is with 12 years of continual, constant bleeding. Says she had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years, she had spent everything. Everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, it tells us what it says right there. In fact, she had gotten worse. Big crowd, there's Jesus, there's Jairus walking with Jesus, leading him, probably like, we got to go, got to go, got to go, we got to go. And somehow, some way, this lady who has had this constant flow of blood for 12 years, which technically makes her unclean, 
according to the book of Leviticus, she's unclean. She presses in and she's like, and, and we have, you have to understand this, like there's not much difference between her and a leper. They're both viewed the same way. She's unclean. Anybody she comes into contact with would be unclean. She, we don't know her, we don't know anything about her. We don't even get a name for this lady. She'll be in heaven. You can talk to her when you get there. We have no, but probably she had to be divorced. Probably was removed from her family. Because technically, within the law, she can't be around anybody because she has this continual flow of blood which makes her unclean, and anybody she would touch becomes unclean. She can't even worship in the synagogue that Jairus works at because she's unclean. She can't go to church. She can't even hang out in the, the court with, where the, all the women hang out. Can't go in there. She can't even go in the court where the Gentiles would hang out. She's unclean. Very similar to like how a leper is viewed. Hers is more of like where leprosy is obviously very physical and you can tell and all that good stuff. Her, hers is hidden. Hers is hidden. And it's a hidden pain that she's been carrying with her for 12 years. 12 years. But on this day, on this day, he's back on the shore. And she's going to do whatever it takes to get to him, get to the one who, who she knows he can solve my problem. He can solve my problem. So she's breaking all sorts of rules and regulations just to get close to Jesus because she has to physically come in contact with a lot of people to press through them to get to Jesus. She's like, I don't care. I don't care. And sometimes we have to be like that. I don't care what the rules are. I have to get to Jesus. I don't care what humiliation may come as a result of this. I have to get to Jesus. Jairus had to get to Jesus for the sake of his daughter. This unknown lady is getting to Jesus for the sake of her own, her own issue. She went to all the doctors. She probably at some point in time, she had to have money. She probably at some point in time was a wealthy woman because she's able to go to all these doctors. We don't know technically what all that means as far as how many doctors and all that, but they had plenty of different rules and ideas and theories, hypotheses concerning, okay, how to fix this problem she had. We'll mix up this stuff and you drink that. Did that not work? Okay, well, then we're going to mix up some of this other stuff. You drink that. We'll see if that works. There tons of remedies, quote unquote, remedies that were out there. Nothing worked for her, and she went broke, broke, just trying to get back to normal. She lost it all. I mean, she probably just so that she could be around her family again. And there's, there's no amount of money that I wouldn't spend to be with my family. And she spent it all. And they couldn't solve her problem. In fact, everything that they did for her just made it worse. 
We're so glad that you joined us for a look at the Gospel of Mark here on Bread for the Broken. Pastor James will continue to take you verse by verse through this New Testament book about Jesus. There's so much to learn. We pray that you've heard something today that's drawn you deeper into your relationship with the Lord. Do you have questions about what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus? Well, we would love to hear from you and talk more. So go to breadforthebroken.com and click on contact to leave a message for us. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. Or if you're in the Galveston area, we would love to get to know you in person too. Join us on Sundays or Thursdays as we study God's Word together at Calvary Galveston. You'll find service times, more information, and directions at our website. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. We're so grateful for our listening audience. And if this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you consider teaming up with us in a financial way? A lot is done to get these teachings out on the radio. And we're so grateful for those who feel led by God to contribute in that way. Simply go to the About tab on our website and you'll find the Donate link. We'd also like to ask you to be praying for us and for your fellow listeners. We can all use God's guidance and continued grace as we navigate this world with Him. Thanks for praying. If you missed any part of today's teaching, you can also find it on our website, breadforthebroken.com. Thanks again for tuning in today to Bread for the Broken.